All right. Go again. Okay, that's that's a hundred percent better. It was extremely <laughs> echoish over here. So now I can hear you very clearly. Can can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you well. Very good, very good. How you doing? I am well. How about yourself? Doing better than I, I should be. <laughs> We're above ground. Yes. Yes, better than we should be. All of us are, despite um, what 2020 has brought us. You know, a lot of people thought we were brave, despite what our ancestors been through. But we are unbreakable people. So we're doing better than a lot of people say we should be, right? That's right. That's right. All right. So, Mr. Reginald, you have been into um, policing and uh, I saw that you got your degree in criminology. So kind of tell us a little bit about your background and how long you fought in uh, field. Okay, and, and thank you for the question. Um, I started 30 year, 31 years ago, in fact, last July of 2019, I retired from the DeKalb County Sheriff's Office uh, as the chief deputy. And I started there 30 years prior to that uh, at the entry level of Detention Officer 1. And Detention Officer 1, from that level, anything north of that is a promotion. And so I was subsequently promoted to Detention Officer 2, uh, Detention Officer 3, Jail Training Officer, Corporal, Sergeant, Lieutenant, Captain, Major, Chief of Jail Operations, and then Chief Deputy, which gives oversight to the entire Sheriff's Office, respectively. Oh, wow. So you've done probably just about, seems like, all of the top official jobs when it comes to, um, I guess, the Sheriff's Department already. You've already been so involved in the Sheriff's Department. So if you could explain for somebody like myself, because I don't know the different titles and what they all mean. What exactly is the difference between a, a chief deputy, because you were, you are a former, um, former chief deputy of DeKalb County Sheriff's Office right. versus the sheriff, which you are running for now? What are the differences in the job or job description? Okay, and, uh, and the chief deputy, I, I was in a completely different county. That, that county was DeKalb County where I retired last year of 2019. And the the chief deputy's position is the highest unelected position in any county. And so that's the highest that you can go within a sheriff's office is the chief deputy. Uh, so we get that question oftentimes. We also get another question which asks, what's the difference between sheriff and the police? You know, and a lot of people just don't know the difference between the two. Uh, I don't well, that's fine. No problem. That's what we're here for. <laughs> All informative type conversation. But just to put it in layman's term, uh, the sheriff is responsible for the person and the police is responsible for the crime. Now, even though we can be responsible for the crime, uh, out of 159 counties in the state of Georgia, there's only 12 or 13 counties that is not full service. Full service mean that the sheriff does everything uh, in terms of dealing with the criminal aspect as well as dealing with the warrants, the jail, and the field division, respectively. And so DeKalb County was one of those uh, where uh, we did 
uh, dual roles, where the police department had their role in dealing with the person and the crime. And we had our role dealing with the jail, dealing with the courts, dealing with the field, uh, respectively. We deal with the person holistically once they come into our custody. And, and a lot of folks don't know that, that. And we also have a little bit more jurisdiction. The police departments have a power or arrest power within their jurisdiction or municipality uh, or particular cities. The sheriff of any county has statewide jurisdiction and statewide arrest power. And so it's a little bit stronger than it, than it is for a um, police officer. And the sheriff, respectively, of any county is the chief law enforcement official of the county. Uh, so it holds a substantial amount of weight. Okay. So when you say the sheriff is responsible for the person, in what aspects do you mean the sheriff is responsible for the person versus the crime? Well, if a person is taken into custody or if we go to a house that has a that has been a homicide and say so we get the warrant, typically we get the warrant and said this particular person uh, is wanted for said act of homicide or what have you. We'll get that. We'll find the person. Once we find the person, we take the person in custody. And where do they go to? They go to the jail. Well, who gives oversight to the jail? The sheriff gives oversight to the jail. And so the entire time in your stay that's at the jail, the sheriff is completely responsible for the well-being and the wherewithal of any person that's in his or her custody. And once you are there and your next move is to go to court, well, who transports you to court? The sheriff transfer, transports you from the jail to the court. Once you get to the court, who's responsible for the courtroom and the security of the judges? The sheriff is responsible for the courtroom and security of the judges and the courthouse respectively. So we deal with the person once you get into the judicial system from that level to make sure you transition in that your say that you're going to be staying overnight, that may be unfortunately in a jail, a sheriff has a responsibility of making sure of all of those areas and categories respectively is taken care of. Okay, understood. So I understand that a little bit more. So with you, you were former chief deputy of DeKalb County and now you're running for sheriff in Henry County. Yes. Uh, at, to, being as though the sheriff has jurisdiction statewide, do you have to be a resident of Henry County in order to run as an elected official in that county? You do. In, in order to run, you have to be a resident for at least two years in the county that you're running in. Uh, we've been blessed enough to, even though I worked in the cab uh, for 30 years, uh, my wife and I and family uh, have resided in Henry County for the last 29 years. Um, so we've had an opportunity and we call Henry County God's country. We've had, it was a very, it was a privilege driving from the cab to uh, this subtle area and piece of God land uh, in Georgia called Henry County. Uh, and it was just a calming effect to drive from the cab and not saying the cab is, is anything other than what it is, but it was certainly calmer because the cab has about 800,000 citizens. Well, at the time that my wife and I moved out to Henry County 29 years ago, it was only 49,000 people in the entire county. Oh, wow. uh, it's one of the fastest growing counties now in the Southeast United States. So now uh, we're up to about 225,000 people that are in the county respectively. So they're growing. Uh, we're trying to have a, a big city thinking with a small town feel. So it's one of the reasons why we call it God's country. Okay, cool. So there's a lot of land out there and not much development happening in Henry County as of 
right now? Uh, progressive development, but absolutely a lot of land. That 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 is the truth. Yes. Okay, you get to do some good country living out there. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so and all that type of stuff. Yes, <laughs> right. Cool. Okay. Now, speaking of hunting and being lots of land, um, are there? I see on your platform. I want to get into your platform a little bit okay. and some of your beliefs. I see that you are working to bridge or part of your platform is to bridge the community and, um, you know, officials, elected officials and police in the community. Are there ways that and I see also in your background that you do a lot of training and you're certified in a lot of different avenues? Yes. Would you be interested in training the community and say, um, hunting sports or something like that? Is that something that a community outreach program that you would somewhat look into? Maybe hunting or self-protection of the community with everything that we are facing today where the community is needing to protect themselves um, and kind of just stand strong on their second, on their second amendment. Is that something that you are for? And is that like maybe a community outreach that you would be open to? Okay, and, and let me try to see if I can go back to the original, the original question that you had. One is that, yeah, that, that is one of my platforms in terms of bringing the community and law enforcement together. Uh, unless you've been on a rock somewhere, uh, the community and law, and law enforcement are extremely divided uh, for a lot of reasons, a lot of which are absolutely factual. And so that has to be attacked head on and addressed head on in terms of how do we bring the community and law enforcement back to the table, back together for a realistic relationship development? Well, one of the ways I want to try to type that is developing a uh, community division that is task specific with dealing with the real concerns of the community. Uh, and that's going to take us, uh, that's going to be an arduous task. <clears throat> we have to sit down at the table with people that don't look like us, that don't think like us, that don't believe like us, and search for a common resolve, number one. Number two is, is that it's going to be important that we get back to community policing and community involvement to develop relationships. I should be able to go to, regardless of what the neighborhood is, without an issue or an incident or a purpose for being there other than to get to know Miss Jackson and to get down and, and Miss Jackson, how are you doing? What's going on in this area? How can I help you suffer less, Miss Jackson? What's the things that you see that I don't see that we can come in and come together realistically to try to solve? Now, that's going to be tried and true because there's going to be an apprehension by Miss Jackson or Miss Johnson or you fill in the blank well, we're going to have to systematically walk this walk together to make sure that trust is developed along the way because it's been broken tremendously by the acts of a few. Um, and I've been challenged with that because I don't care if you go from here to Burger King. Uh, there's going to always be an employee or a bad apple. Um, it, it's going to always be one that just don't go by the rules and regulations that sort of sing to their own song. And it's incumbent upon leadership when those things happen is that you find those bad apples, that you're very transparent with the community of those, with those bad apples and you get rid of those bad apples respectively and give them an opportunity to be successful 
elsewhere. Uh, because law enforcement is not only is it a profession, but it should be a calling. It should that protecting and serving is to do just that, to, to cover, uh, to serve you. I mean, just like when you go into a restaurant, when someone comes up with a plate or what have you, when they come to you, they ask you, what do you need? How can I help you or assist you? And it's important that we have and find people with the innate ability to do that. And if you do not have the ability to do that, then this is not for you. Uh, you should not be a part of this profession and give a black eye to people that go out and try to do it right every single day. I received that. So with that being said, do you feel like Blue Lives Matter is a, um, I guess is a appropriate stance? Well, the, well, in terms of Blue Lives Matter, taking care of themselves when they're going out, I'm not quite sure I understand the question. Is Blue Lives Matter an appropriate stance on um, opposing Black Lives Matter? Do you feel like with everything that you just said, our community faces issues um, where we have had disrupt disruption amongst law enforcement in the community? And with that being said, a lot of um, policing or a lot of law enforcement have taken a Blue Lives Matter stance and have said that you know, when when it comes to law enforcement, they enforce and they protect and they stand with police uh, kind of seems like with a lot of Blue Lives Matter, they have their back despite if, um, you know, they may have been not accurate in the steps that they have taken to be law enforcement or create enforcement in the community. Do you feel like that is Blue Lives Matter is a appropriate approach to law enforcement saying we have each other's back? Well, anything or do you feel like it's divisive? Or do you feel like it's divisive? Well, it's extremely divisive, and I'm glad that you said that. And and anything that creates division uh is is a problem it is an absolute problem when we were when we, you initially come into this profession one of the things you do once you complete your training is you raise your right hand and you take an oath and that oath is to serve it's not to be separate it's not to take a separate stance now i want to make sure we understand that it's important for law enforcement personnel to be careful and to take care of themselves and to make sure that they uh, they are reasonable in terms of what is used and what is needed on any given scene. Yes, you want to go home better than, than what you uh, started your tour of duty, but anything that is separate in nature, anything that is divisive is not going to work. And that's a us against them mentality. Uh, we can't have that. Thus, the, the reason that I said in the conversation before this one, is that's important that we, we get down to the communities and we start to sit down and have these conversations that you and I are having right now, that we can start talking about some of the things that's been very hurtful, some of the things that's been very true, some of the things that people have seen that has broken the relationship between of trust. And oftentimes when you break trust, you can never get it back. I mean, you can work and try and try, but you never get it holistically. But we got to try that. We got to go brick by brick and stack them up accordingly and try to find the mortar to that brick and have those conversations with people that, quite frankly, may hate us. They may hate our guts on what few people have done that have represented a large amount. And a lot of folk in the community think that, hey, all of y'all are bad. All of you all are bad. Well, that's just like saying that all black people are bad. 
That's just like if you see someone that that may be responsible for a homicide that may be African-American, you know, there are a lot of people that pass judgment and say, well, all of you all back are bad because of what this one individual did. That's not that's not fair. Uh, because there are men and women that don the uniform day in and day out, brown and blue uniforms, respectively, and they do the job right. And you got those that don't do it right. You have those that have ulterior motives along the way. And, and that, again, is incumbent upon leadership. You got to find them. You got to deal with them. And there cannot be any secrets in terms of how you deal with it. That has to be very transparent. There's, you have to let the citizens know, the people that put you in office, the people that are looking for you to protect and serve, to do the right thing. And that may be ugly for a time frame in terms of, hey, yes, this is one of ours. Uh, but there's certain things from a principal perspective that we will not tolerate. Foolishness, disrespect, uh, extreme uses of forces. No, those type of things will not be tolerated under my watch uh, uh, in any sheriff's office that I am given oversight to. And if that's your motive, trust me, we'll find you because I'm going to make sure we put the right leadership in place that have a holistic approach to the community and people. It's important that we understand people and their concerns, their challenges, their issues, and try to come to common resolves. And when you leave their areas or their houses, they should be better off because they met you, because you brought something that was not there before. And I think we're missing that. We're just missing relationship. And we got to build that step by step, brick by brick. And I plan to do that. Your mindset is what we hope for out of all law enforcement, what exactly led you to this career path? It's interesting. And this, this gonna, this, you're going to laugh at this, but <laughs> it's the facts. Um, my original major was music education. Okay. And for music education, I went to a university. I was following my high school sweetheart. And that, that university was not able to give me a full scholarship. And so when it got to the point, as you well know, with HBCU or any type of school, it's time to pay the bills. It's time to pay the piper. And quite frankly, I didn't have the finances to do that. And um, I've always been a leader uh, from, from elementary school all the way through high school in several different respective functions and categories and, uh, and groups and organizations. Uh, and so I, I found myself or stumbled into law enforcement, not with the original agenda of getting the law enforcement, uh, because that was not me. I never thought that that would be me at all, particularly given my background, because I grew up. I would say humble beginnings, but I just said the hood. You know, I grew up on the west side of Atlanta and Bankhead Highway, if you're familiar with Atlanta. Uh, and so I grew up in that area and I never forgot where I came from, you know. And so uh, I finally got into law enforcement and uh, a lot of folk that I grew up with said, hold on, man, I, I know you're just getting no law enforcement. Back then they used to call it 5-0. I think now they call it 12 or something like that. But, you know, it's interesting during that time frame, I believe that that was God ordained. I think that God allowed me and to be raised by a single mother and to go through hell and to unfortunately witness the the domestic abuse of my father to my mother daily before he left. Uh, that created a core value system in me uh, that once I got into law enforcement, it became a mantle. It became my 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 uh, principles and things that I just wouldn't tolerate uh, and understanding the least of these and how I grew up in humble beginnings also helped me to hear people that were actually going through issues and concerns and have a heartfelt empathy of what's really going on with them. 
That's important nowadays because if we don't put the right officers in the right neighborhoods, you won't understand those neighborhoods and then we'll have conflict accordingly, which is some of the things that you see nightly on CNN, uh, on, on you know Fox 5 or Channel 2. We got to make sure that you understand the relationship and the cultures that relate, uh, that, that reside in these neighborhoods. And if you do that, there's an old proverb that says, in all you're getting, get understanding, you'll understand uh, what is really going on in these neighborhoods in order to help them in times of need. That is imperative. It's imperative to have people in the community that look like us. Um, you should reflect your community that you're, that you're representing. I, I wholeheartedly believe that. And with that being said, I love what you said about connecting with people and being able to um, just understand them and see how they feel and where they're coming from. In relation to that, being that you've worked in jails and, um, you know, been a law enforcement as far as pr the prison system, in what ways do you feel like, do you ever connect with the inmates and listen to the inmates to what they need? And in what ways do you act on what they need? Oh, absolutely. You know, one, one of the things that I, we were able to do in the Cab County Jail, which I, I, I tout now, and we're gonna bring this to, um, uh, to Henry, because it works. Uh, DeKalb County Jail, respectively, unfortunately has annually approximately 40,000 people that come into its back doors a year. Now, 94 to 95% of those people are African-American. And so also 68% of those people did not finish their GEDs or any type of formal education. And so I was thinking along the way, that's the definition of insanity, that you keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results. They would get out with respect to recidivism, which is also one of my platforms. They would get out and go back to the things and the areas that they were they were used to and that they were familiar with. Well, we gave us some thought. So why don't we partner with some colleges, respectively, Piedmont College, Georgia State, can we develop a GED program that we can get grants for that people, while they're sitting here, if they qualify, that they go to classes daily while they're in jail and that they're least able to get their GED? We did that. Uh, and before I left there, we graduated over a thousand inmates. And, and thank you, man. I appreciate that. And not only did we do that, but we also taught them trades, things that they can do with their hands things that they can do in terms of sculpture, things that they can do in terms of building. And the hard part about that is that once they got both of those things we said before, we needed them to go out to society to sustain themselves. So they needed jobs. We needed people to take risk on them. And uh, I was with a lot of private and public sectors and said, listen, you know, these are former inmates, but they're people. I don't give a darn what they did in the past. If they pay their debts to society, they need an opportunity now to sustain themselves with employments and they have particular skill sets. I know that we can verify that because I've seen it and we got it for them. Now, I need for you to try to give them a job because if you do not give them a job, they're going to go back to the things that they thought that they knew before. And um, we got a substantial amount of people to agree upon that. A lot of these inmates stopped um returning back to the jail which was just did my heart well at that time frame when we implemented the program we had about 3700 inmates and about 12 years later when i was promoted to chief deputy we had about 1300 inmates which means there was a substantial amount of people that stopped coming because of the things that we gave them when it was inside the jail they were able to get out 
find employment, sustain themselves and do something fundamentally different from where they came from. Well, we got to do that. These are people oftentimes that are screaming for direction, guidance and help. And oftentimes all they do is what they know. So we just got to expand uh, the things that they've been introduced to. That's my job. That's why I'm, I'm thankful to God that I've had these opportunities to grow up from humble beginnings because I see the struggle. I've been through the challenges. I know what it's like to go without. I know what it's like to go to a neighborhood and not know what it's like 12 miles down the street because you've never been there. So we got to give them to change what's called a scotoma. And a scotoma is a blind spot in the mind. We got to remove the blind spots, give them opportunities to get with people that they've never experienced before, they've never met before, and things that they've never done before, and get sustainable income to make sure that they don't have to return back to that type of life again. Now, that's two of my platforms with respect to recidivism and ensuring the GED program is brought to Henry County because I've already done it. And I want to make sure I don't want to fill up jails. I don't want to be in the business of locking up folk. I want to be in the business of changing lives. So if you uh, unfortunately have to, to have to come across uh, Henry County Jail and meet Reginald Scandrett as a sheriff, then that may be the best thing that ever happened to you. Because what I feel my mantle and mantra is, even before I got this, this that was ordained before time, is to try to change a paradigm, change the way people are thinking. Help them if they're having drug use and drug issues and drug concerns. Well, there's drug programs that we have. We'll bring that in. I did that in the cab as well to try to help people. If you've hit rock bottom, at least you can look up. And when you look up, I need to be trying to stand there to help you help yourself so that we can change. That's how you change a community. You don't turn your back on the people that are in jails and say that, oh, that these are the least of these and throw whatever at them. No, you don't do that. I spent a substantial amount of time on the floors, 14 floors in the Cab County Jail. I spent a substantial amount of time talking to women and men respectively in tears, just wanting someone to hear the things that they had gone through or the bad breaks that they had taken or the things that he had done. And I did that. Oftentimes I would cry with them because it was very challenging to hear some of the things that they had gone through. All they needed was someone to give a done, just, just to care. You know, and to just sort of guide them along the way to say, you might want to take this direction and I'm going to help you do that. Now, if you go back the same way you did before, then it's your choice that you did that. But at least you've experienced something that is different that properly will fundamentally change your life. Wow. Amazing stance. Um, I feel like a lot of that, a lot of the education to Financial literacy is a big part of that, I think, as well. And I want to piggyback on that a little bit when we come back. We're going to take a little break for some music, and then we're going to come back with some Black-owned businesses, and then we'll get into some financial literacy as far as the inmates' um, concern. Love it. Thank, Thank you.
Did you mute him? Love you.
and we are back. This is the Inside Out on the and your girl, the official is D. And we'll turn it back over to the T. All right, so we are back. When we left off, we were talking about um, inmates and just educational, uh, getting, getting inmates educated and acclimated so that when they are back um, into you know society, they know how to move and they won't return back to jails. I feel like a lot of our community's crime comes from impoverished areas living in poverty. What are ways that you think we can tackle the aspect of poverty? Because poverty a lot of times is dependent upon financial literacy. And if our communities aren't financial financially literate, then sometimes we make the bad, you know, the wrong mistakes and choose the wrong, the easy way out on, you know, creating an income. What are ways that we can tackle this issue? Well, I, I think we have to start from a very early age. And, and one of the things that happens out here in Henry County is that the sheriff is responsible for the schools. And those deputies that are assigned to the school are called SROs. And those deputies will go into the schools under my watch fundamentally different. One, I think you need to be gifted and yet you need to have an innate ability to deal with children. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. I believe that one plants a seed. I believe one tills a soil. I believe one reaps a harvest. If we can go into the school from an influential perspective and plant the seeds, I'm talking about deputy sitting down, crisscross applesauce. And with children, I mean, from K to six, and start talking to them about the things of life and start teaching them about some things that they may or may not know. We got to change a paradigm in the things that they are exposed to at an early age. And if we expose them to different things, they will begin to think differently and begin to walk with more courage in directions that they've never had before. So we can do that from a sheriff office perspective since we're already in the schools and develop trust. We can target the community, we can deal with financial literacy, and we can deal with your, your paradigm in terms of how you think. That's planting the seed. When you till the soil, should be middle school. Middle school is us saying, saying, listen, from a mentor perspective, instead of you looking at me as all RoboCop and trying to put charges on kids for them doing this, that, and the third, we're not about to be in the business of putting charges on kids unless they do something so egregious that we can't help but to do that. So while we're there, I want to be more of a mentorship to make sure we water the seed that we just did in K through six and talk to them about choices. If you go left, there are issues and fundamentals of you going left and, and there are repercussions of you going left. If you go right, there are repercussions and there are benefits of going right. And so that's tilling the soil. Now, reaping the harvest should be at a high school level. We should be preparing folk on based on the things that we planted in them, that they're thinking different. I don't care where you came from. If I can teach you different things and show you different things, even take you on trips to different areas of things that you've never seen, what it does is give you an opportunity to see things outside of what you're accustomed to every single day. That will, in my opinion, directly attack the financial liter literacy 
directly attack an impoverished type mentality and give you another opportunity to sit at the table with folk that may have more money than you, but you still got the same knowledge. And knowledge is power. Now, what you do with it is up to you. You can get the same area, the same benefits, the same levels. You can do all of those if we start planting the seeds early. I think that's how we can we can attack aggressively financial literacy and the mindset that is basically from some of the challenged uh, children and people that come from challenged areas. Nice. So we talked a lot about what you plan to do for the community and it's a lot. And I commend you on everything that you have planned. And I pray that you successfully get it done and get elected. Um, now let's talk a little bit about our law enforcement and what you plan to do for them. So I see that you have a, a part of your platform is also uh, restorative justice. Can you talk about that a little bit and what you plan to do for officers and how you plan to help them, like your got your six um, part of your campaign? Well, it's two different things about get, get restorative justice is one thing and getting having your six is one. I come back to restorative justice at the very end, but having your six is, is an old World War II phrase <clears throat> that says I have your back. And what do I mean by that? Uh, and I want to make sure I'm very clear with respect to people understanding what do I mean by that? Well, law enforcement officers are oftentimes screaming for help. And what I mean by that is, is that on a on a day to day basis, law enforcement officers will see things that you or a regular citizen would dream about. Um, and the, the problem is they can't go home. They go back into service. If there was a homicide that happened in this room and law enforcement was called and you not you come inside of that dwelling and you walk in, it could be a body shot here. It could be one shot in the head over here and it could be someone else back in the back. Well, you work that scene and you're, you're taking in the things that you're seeing mentally that is uh, completely against what you should be seeing naturally. And so you leave that scene. You don't go home. You go back into service where your next call could be a domestic violence call. And that's some of the most challenging calls that you can get, because even though you may be there to help someone, oftentimes both of the parties turn on the officer. And so and you may have to get into altercation. You may have to get into all those type of things. And you leave that call and you go back into service. Well, one one answer is how do you clinically unpack the things that you see every day? How do you do that? Because the problem is, is that law enforcement only gets psychological testing when you're hired, when there's a shooting, or when you're involved in a, in a tactical team like SWAT. That's it. Well, we got to change that. And that's the reason why I say I, I got your six, because I need to make sure you're clinically prepared to protect and serve. That's part of our problem now, because if you go to one of the most challenging areas that you're working as your beat, and you worked that area for 10 years, and you've seen everything that I just told you every single day, and on the ninth year, I pull you over at a stop sign and I got all these things that are brewing in my head. And I, you say something to me that I deem to be disrespectful, where pressure breaks pipes. And you should not get that load of everything that's been building up on me for years that I have not clinically unpacked. So I'm going to make sure it's mandatory that at least twice a year, all of the officers and deputies under my auspices receive mandatory psychological testing. What that will do is help me help them become better citizens, become better officers, become better deputies, become better pillars of the communities, help them to take care of their families better and to release the things that they have. And if you're having those type of problems, I'm going to pull you off of the streets 
I'm going to pull you off of the jail and get you the help clinically that you need so that when you come back and I stop you at a stop sign, you can get me holistically and not the person that unfortunately law enforcement has the highest levels of the highest rates of divorce. They have the highest rates of, of alcoholism. They have the highest rates of drug use. They have the highest rates of suicide because they cannot clinically unpack the things that they see every day. And we have to address that. That's the reason why I said, I got your six. I got your back because you won't be out serving anyone if you're not mentally right. And I want doctors to tell me, hey, he or she needs help. Here is how we can help them. I don't care if it takes two or three years. You won't be on the streets helping people if you have not clinically unpacked the things that you have gone through every single day. I think that's some of the issues we got now nationwide that you're seeing some of these officers losing because people don't have their back in terms of, no, you need clinical help. You need someone to talk to you from a psychological perspective so we can help you over here, but not you out dealing with people. You need help individually. That's what we're missing in leadership. We keep putting bodies out there saying that we need a shift. No, we, they need help. And I got to make sure we have this, that they're sick with respect to that. That's one of my platforms as well. Uh, with respect to uh, reform, is that was that the other question? Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So with respect to the reform, well, you and I have done things in our past that we want somebody to give us another opportunity for. It's just that simple. And I think what we need to do is that if you committed a crime to Miss Johnson, I want you to go and meet Miss Johnson after you've done that. And you need to understand the gravity of what you did to Miss Johnson. You need to look her eye to eye and say, I, I didn't know that it hurt you that bad that what I did or took from you fundamentally changed your life. You need to see that on that woman and you need an opportunity to repent for the things that you've done. And so we can turn your way around and give you another opportunity and say, all right, you see what you did. Now let's reform you. Let's put you back in a system and a way of thinking that was different than where you came from. That's what we need to be about the business of doing, which, which goes back to what we talked about earlier and changing Scotoma, which is a blind spot of the mind, and giving people opportunities to look at what they've done from a 30,000 feet perspective so that when they land their own mental individual plane, they can land it appropriately at Hartsfield or whatever the airport is or the airport of their life and not crash and burn. Oftentimes they crash and burn because we don't have a reform system. And it has to be a system that we consistently develop and invest in the people and let them understand. Let me let me tell you and show you the gravity of what you've done. Now let's change that way of thinking. Yes. All right. So in aspects of helping our officers, do you plan to implement the flag football in uh, Henry County as well to kind of recreationally help officers in law enforcement? I'm not quite sure to be flag again. That was uh, something that I created. It was very, it was great, but it was a huge undertaking. Also, I had, I think it was ten agencies that participated in that, and it was a oh man, we had marching bands from high school and oh wow, oh yeah, it was it was big. I mean, they had DJs out there and families that came, and but it was a way of dealing with the stressors that they deal with on every single day. And so I can't necessarily commit to that, but I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna commit to several things that we're gonna do differently. Uh, as outlets that I want to do with just them as a group, um, that I want to do with them and the community as a group where they come and they, you don't see the uniform, you just see the person, you know, and that's developing along the way. And someone tell you, I'm going to do something different too. And if somebody steal this and they know they got it from your show. <laughs> so, <laughs> one of the things we're going to do differently is 
typically nowadays when police officers or deputy sheriffs train, they train with each other. There's no risk. There's no threat. I don't have a heightened level of heart rate. I'm comfortable. I just go through the training and that's it. We want to change that. I want to train with the public. I want the public to come in and train with us, in particular on like traffic stops, so that you know if Reginald Scandrick in training is stopping you and I'm working your community, that won't be a heightened sense of fear or reverent sense of fear because you and I train together. You know how I yeah. think. I don't, I don't, you know, that, there's not a sense of issue or urgency on my part because I know you as well. And we've developed a relationship there. You know, if I stop you, there's an issue. I just want to let you know, hey, this is what's going on. This is why I stop you. Just letting you know. And so we can sort of calm the waters right there. So if we train together, there's another thing I want to do. Typically doing that type of training. Well, typically when there's an issue with one's heart and you go to the doctor, the heart, the doctor will put on you for 24 hours, different prongs, prongs. And he tells you to sleep with this, like it's like a pacemaker that's outside of you so that they can monitor overnight when your heart was skipping, when it was elevated, when it was not elevated, so they can tell you how to deal with that. Well, I want that same monitor on these officers when we're training with the public. And so when you go to a car and you haven't been to this neighborhood and you don't understand this type of culture, and I see on this screen that your heart is elevated, I'm going to stop the training right there and say, oh, what's happening? What is the problem right here on reason why your heart is being elevated on someone that you don't know? That's what we got to deal with right there. In addition to that, teach them realistic ways of cultures and ways of being that they don't know. You need to understand that from a Hispanic perspective, from an African-American perspective, from, you know, from all different cultures, you got to understand how they think. So that's hot off the press. We're going to start training with the public so the public can be involved with what we do, how we do, and they can raise their hands right there in a, t- in a teachable time frame and say, wait a minute, why did he come to this side of the window? Why is he asking me these questions? No problem, because we're in a classroom setting. So we can talk about some of the things that folk are having all these challenges with and at the same time develop a relationship with people that will be working your community. Does that, does that make sense to you? Yes, completely. That creates a learning environment for both parties. Yes, ma'am. Because yes, ma'am. even... Even some like just like you said, some people don't even understand why is he walking to this side and not this side, and you right. know just little things like that can can make the the person who's being pulled over more nervous. That can heighten the situation with the officer. So yeah, right. that creates a learning experience for everybody. I really right. admire that. Now, the last thing I want to touch on before we get out of here is your opponent. Okay. Do you know your opponent personally? I don't know him personally, but I know him. Um, I have I have met him a couple of times and we've had some conversations before and I know his background. Okay. Okay. All right. And then just if you could just tell us what makes you a better opponent than him? What makes you what makes you better for this position and why should we vote for you? Well, I don't I'm not a resident of Henry County. I wish I was at this point, but (laughs) (laughs) why should the residents of Henry County choose you over your opponent? Well, experience matters. Um, and, you know, that my opponent has only gone to the level of a corporal. Now, these are just facts. They're not attacking, but the level of a corporal, that's that's where he has been. He's been in law enforcement over 30 years, but the level of a corporal. And my response to that is when I was a corporal, uh, I thought as a corporal, uh, I behaved as a corporal. But when I became a sergeant, I put away corporal things. Uh, when I became a lieutenant, I thought as a lieutenant. 
uh, and I, I behaved as a lieutenant. But when I became a captain, I put away uh, lieutenant things. And I can go on and on up to major. I can go up to assistant chief. I can go up to chief deputy, respectively, in dealing with budgets of $91 million and dealing with a budget of the jail of $56 million, respectively. Experience matters, and particularly during this time frame where we have such a divide between the community and law enforcement, we cannot have a neophyte that is trying to take us to a position that he or she has never experienced. I, I did a platform about three months ago that was very significant on my social media site where I brought in some airline pilots, some pilots that fly uh, 747s. And have you flown before? You've been on the flight before? Okay, so I think you know when you walk inside of that plane, one of the things that you are depending your life upon is the experience of those pilots up in the front. You do not want to get 30,000 feet and that pilot says, I'm afraid of heights. You don't you do not want that pilot to say, I've never experienced landing because that's the bad time frame. You don't want them learning in the air on how to land that plane respectively. Well, we're past the learning phases. We're in a critical time frame now in these states. You notice I didn't say united because we're not united and we need someone from a leadership perspective with the heart for the people that has experience, that's been through the trenches, that understand people, that understand every single level that can go to the next level of excellence without having to learn day one. We're ready to go day one uh, because we've been through every single level. I understand exactly how every level works uh, and we're ready to go with a strategic plan of 90 days respectively in terms of when we first go in. We also ready to go with a one year strategic plan in terms of what we're going to do tomorrow. I've always done a pretty good job of reading tomorrow's paper today. So fundamentally, that's what differences that that's what separates me away from my opponent, my opponent in terms of where we are, what I've experienced, what I have done along the way and uh, and what I can bring to Henry County respectively to make it even better than what it has been before. And we're ready to go to do that tomorrow. Yes. Yeah, so you already have the plan in effect. Listen, ladies and gentlemen of Henry County, this is your sheriff. Oh, your sheriff. Listen, Sheriff Reginald, he the man. So tell us, I'm already look, I'm already calling you Sheriff Reginald. Humble, thank you. <laughs> tell us, tell us, Sheriff, how can the people stay in contact with you? How can they support your campaign? All right, so you can give me uh, I'm at uh, www.scandret the number four, sheriff.com. Uh, um, you can certainly do that. And you can email me at scandridforsheriff at gmail.com. And we're all over Facebook. We are, we're on Spotify. We're on Instagram. You name it. If you put in Reginald Scandred, you you will find us and you will find what we're doing, uh, how we're walking this out. And you know what's going to be really important? You know, it, it's good that, that I am, uh, uh, that I can possibly be the first African-American sheriff in the history of Henry County. But it's even better uh, to know that I'm qualified to be in that position. All and, right, now. And, and, and once, and, and see, that's what my mother always told me, particularly as an African American child, my mother's always told me, you got to be three times as smart. You got to be three times as wise. And here's the last thing that you all have to do. It ain't good just to get us in the office. You got to hold us accountable. Mm -hmm. You got to hold us accountable. Forget all this talk and all of that. Once we get in, you still got to be behind us with your arms folded like, yeah, you say you're going to do this. We want to see you do it. <laughs> and right. hold it That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Yes, that's exactly what Ice Cube doing right now. And they mad at him, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> it has been an awesome interview. 
Um, I believe that you are the candidate um, and the sheriff for Henry County as well. I look forward to um, what your 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 campaign, your election speech when you win. Okay, um, I want to stand in there front and center um, because I, I think you are what the people need, and I, I hope that once you take that position, that you're not only um, what the people of Henry County can look forward to, but the Metro Atlanta area as well, because I, I think after reading your bio that you can speak to um, law enforcement throughout the area and making these changes, especially when it comes to recidivism and building those, um, cultivating those relationships between law enforcement in the community. So Mr. Scandrit, um, Sheriff Scandrit, we thank you so much again for joining us on the Inside Out with Lady T, La Finesse yes. Queen on Be Influenced. This is your girl, Ms. D. Go out there, Henry County, and vote. Yes. Vote. Scandal for sheriff. Vote. <laughs> These are the elections that make the difference because this is what's happening in your community. This is where your voice and your time matters. So, again. Boots on the ground. This is what yes. really matters. We, we talk about the presidential election so much. But we don't talk about like our local officials who are uh, representatives for local law enforcement. Exactly. So exactly. So thank you for joining us. We'll be back here again. Same place, same time next Tuesday. Lady T. La Finesse Queen is going to be on somebody's set with some cameras, lights, camera action in her face next Tuesday. So you'll be here with your girl, the official Ms. D. And I might have a surprise co-host here one or two who knows but this is be influenced out thank you so much for joining us we'll see you next week peace thank you sheriff thank you all humble <laughs>